if it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of these boys. Hello, and welcome to the pod, people. I'm the Baba Spook, Matisse Van Rossum. I'm the world's shittiest kid, Ben Sheets. I'm the Baba Dank, Cleveland Mosier. Oh, shit! And together, we're the Baba Dukes of Hazard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I wasn't ready for that one. No one ever is. Welcome back to the show, your favorite scary boys, the late night boys, back at it. And um, surprise, we're talking about The Babadook tonight, one of my favorite horror films of the last five years or so. We're, we're finally diving into this gem of a film. Yeah, it's a very, very good horror movie. It came out in 2014, right? 2014. Um, I I would actually say that this was one of the the films that uh, kick-started the, the so-called golden age of horror films, the horror renaissance that I've been talking yeah, about a lot. Same camp as, like, It Follows, you know? Yeah, it, and, and yeah. like, if you look at all of the horror movies that came out, like, in the years preceding and following this movie, like okay 2013 like the the best horror movie that came out was the conjuring which is a legitimately great film but we can see what that kick-started well it's funny because i think it kick-started both the good and the bad in a lot of ways it kick-started the popularity in terms of resurgence of horror films but yes. it also kickstarted but the Conjuring they, they also, multiverse see, right. episode. Yeah, they also decided that they would take the Conjuring and go into fucking Annabelle and uh, the Nun and the Nun Starter. Yeah, like so <laughs> they. they to it as. So it's a significant film, but it kind of started the worst of the horror films that we're seeing these days. But if you look at, like, the years following uh, The Conjuring, like, in 2014, we've got The Babadook, uh, It Follows, hit the festival circuit in 2014. The Witch. Uh, the Witch, a couple years after, uh, like, Goodnight Mommy. Uh, there's, like, so many incredible, like, high-concept horror films. And I feel like that that 2014 was, like, it's like the golden year. That's when that shit really started and that I think has been growing over the last four years or so. Um, so at least for me, the Babadook is always uh, kind of synonymous with the the kickstarting of the new horror renaissance. So it's important to me for that reason uh, because it is a, a, a genuinely very well-crafted uh, well thought out, well executed horror film. I think. Yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah, it's definitely not a Baba Dud. God damn it! <laughs> I don't know where that came from? No, uh. it's it's not a Baba Dud. Um, this was my like fifth or so time seeing this movie. Uh, I remember I I studied it in a horror film class I took in college. Had to write a paper on it. I know you've seen it a few times as well, Ben. Yeah, I've seen it about three or four times at this point. Um, Cleveland, though, this was your first time seeing it. Yeah, I was I was a I was a virgin to the the. Baba Duke. 
uh, cinema experience. And you have somehow managed to avoid all spoilers for this movie for about four years now. Yeah, it helps when you live under a rock. But uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, I get that. But that's yeah. still just absolutely wild to me that you were able to go into the Babadook in 2018 completely fresh. I didn't even know how to kid it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Yeah, yeah, I got real lucky, and I had a lot of people recommend it to me. Like people were telling me about the film, but I was, I, I'm, I, I usually as as soon as anyone starts getting anywhere near plot, I I just start wailing like a banshee <laughs> un, until they uh they just turn and start running, and uh, it's it's worked pretty well for me on, on that front. You know, well, no, I I, I think that uh, that probably did you well in terms of this film. I'm um, surprised you didn't really get any of the spoiled though. I mean. Even the Babadook itself was kind of a meme for a little while. Well, the the weird thing is that the Babadook has become like the new like LGBT icon. Yeah, well, for, li- for literally no reason. Well, it's the, the reason was uh, Netflix accidentally categorized the Babadook under LGBT films. <laughs> that's right. That's what? right. That's and right. No, no, no. So, you're right. I remember so, that actually. Yeah. What? So the LGBT community took it under their helm and made the Babadook a gay icon now. <laughs> That's right. That was why it happened. I totally forgot about that. I love it, though. I Which fucking love it. hilarious. There, it, it has led to such uh, a, an excellent slew of Babadook gay memes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, it's great. So now that like you'll you'll go to like gay pride events and stuff and there'll be people dressed as the Babadook. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> like, I love that. That's legitimately a thing. Good. Like yeah. It's it's for, yeah, for, for about a gay horror icon. For about, like, about it. Yeah. yeah, for about like the last 2 years like the Babadook has been like a symbol of like LGBT culture and allies wow, and stuff like I that. Wow. I had no idea. <laughs> just, just for the sole reason that Netflix accidentally put the Babadook in LGBT you know, I, I like it better movies. for that. Like like it has absolutely nothing to do with its like its sexuality. You don't have to ask about its sexuality. No, not at all. It's just a gay icon and I, I love that. It doesn't just, have to be just, like overly just by just or... by mistake. Yeah. Like yeah. as as a film like That's... the Babadook has nothing to do with uh gay culture or anything like that, but it was just a, a simple uh cate- categorization mistake that turned the Babadook into a gay icon. Well, I know I'm what I'm dressing up for for I'm next day so Pride. Here. Oh I'm my so here. I'm so here for it. Love it. Love it. God, that's great. I had no idea. Thank you for for telling me about that. Yeah. But um for those of you like Cleveland who have been living under a rock for the last 4 years, uh The Babadook is an Australian uh horror film written and directed by Jennifer Kent based off of a uh short film that she made in what 2005. Uh, that I was not aware of that we watched right after watching this one. Yeah. Um, We can talk about that a little bit at the end, I think. Yeah, sure. No, I I agree. But The Babadook centers around a uh, single woman uh, raising her somewhat problematic child. I would say one of the worst kids in in movie history. Yeah, just absolute uh, little shit, and she's at the same time coping with the death of her husband, who died in a car accident when they were on the way to the hospital to have the child. Uh, so the Babadook is uh, is very much a heavily symbolic, uh, metaphoric film 
um, about coping, just in general. It's a fucking really, really goddamn good movie. Uh, if you have been living under a rock like Cleveland, crawl out into the sunlight and watch this movie already. You've had the last four years to do it, goddammit. If anything, so you can finally understand what the Duke really came from. Um, so I think one of the, one of my favorite parts of this movie is the editing. Uh, the, the feeling of anxiety you get throughout the movie between the mom and the kid is presented so well with how it's cut. You get some really smart choices in that. For example, at one point the kid decides to climb to the top of a swing set Mm. and he's just like standing on the very top of the swings. It intercuts between the mom having a conversation. uh, And and it's the usual stereotype with the the kid saying, mom, look at me, look at me. And of course the mom is and she's busy talking. Right. Yeah. With him climbing up and then he gets to the top and he stands and you cut from seeing him on top to like her friend's horrified reaction to him immediately screaming in the car you know it it's just so smartly cut well what i what i think is really good is because you're not wrong in saying that this kid is absolutely the worst uh necessarily so to the plot but at the same time it's hard as a viewer to really hate him because like, yeah, he's a really terrible problematic child, but you can see that that comes from like a much more deep seated place and that you can really see that the kid is struggling with behavioral issues and that he is still so devoted to his mother he's constantly saying like i'm gonna protect you from monsters i'm gonna keep you safe we'll protect each other all of this shit so at the same time he's still very like a sweet child and it's hard to like really be like oh my god this kid is so fucking terrible even when he's pitching these little tantrums it's like oh well because the kid has not been raised in a a particularly healthy environment and uh like it's 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 a very realistic portrayal of a problem child i think because a big part of the the mother's struggle amelia's struggle is that she wants to be a good parent so bad and she's trying so 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 hard to be a good parent but at this point that we we see her she's just at her wits end like she she's she's breaking down trying to be good but see i kind of disagree i think the kid is very hateable you know like and i think the reason why is the kid kind of works in a way as uh kind of a reflection of amelia's grief in a lot of ways Because he was born on the same day that her husband was killed or, you know, died in the car accident, taking her to the hospital. She kind of sees him as that, you know, well, yes, very hateable thing in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And that is a huge part of her struggle. But she knows, just like we as the audience know, that it wasn't the child's fault that the husband died on the way on the way to the hospital. Which is extremely sympathetic. So it's like, like, yeah, she, Amelia, cannot help but associate 
her child, someone who she's supposed to love unconditionally and is supposed to be like the light of her life. She can't help but associate him with the loss of her husband. Well, it's a shot right before the title sequence where like the kid has crawled into bed with her for comfort. And once the kid has fallen asleep, she scoots away from him and there's that space. Right, exactly. The, the, the movie is very much about like her her separation with her child and how she overcomes that. But like I, like I said, like, yeah, even though the kid is very problematic and at times very dislikable, it's not his fault. Well, no, absolutely. It's not his fault. It's, it's, it's not his fault. And she knows that. And we, as the audience know that, but at the same time, like we see him just being so terrible and so difficult. And she's so like starved for rest and for sleep that like it's it's easy to be to be frustrated with the child just like she is but at the same time it's not like they present him as a character that the audience is like ooh that nasty kid i hate him so much it's like i mean they they do present him as like an absolute just shit like little shit you know he's hurting kids he's you know making weapons but i think at the same time he is definitely sympathetic at the same well, time right and it's so because it's, of it's because but, of his own his own emotional problems that he's doing those things like his bad behavior doesn't come from nowhere and while it is frustrating and obnoxious you you can still like connect with it where well, you yeah, can, definitely. Yeah. He's definitely a sympathetic character. Right. You know, ultimately, he's still, you know, doing a lot of things where I, I think a lot of the horror in the first half in particular even comes from, you know, the idea of having a kid that, you know, is completely unmanageable and you know, has all these behavioral problems. Absolutely. You know? yeah, I, I think I, I, I agree with that. I, I think that even then though, it is a matter of, I, f- you feel like the kid is afflicted. I, I felt like, uh, in, in relation to the, the, the very premonitory moments with the Babadook that like, it was the kid being afflicted by it and it was going to represent, and I was wrong, but it was, it was a very intentional misdirection that the, the Babadook was going to represent something wrong with the child. And that the the child was going to need fixing and help, and that that was going to be the sympathetic edge that they're pulling at. And right. instead, you know, of course, they 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 pull in a very different direction, and we'll go into that later. But in respect to the scenario, I personally, I, I always felt my concern was usually driven out of the situation, right? That the mother was in, not necessarily the child. Well, no, and I moments. and I and I think you bring up a very good point that that goes into how well structured the the script of this film is as well is that mm-hmm. a lot of the the early stuff with the babadook with the villain is is obviously only the kid can see it yes. so you do get a lot of that that idea that the this entity is after the child is haunting the child it's the problem with the child right which is something that is done a lot in horror movies might even say overdone Overdone, yeah, sure. But what it's it, been Baba Dunn. Yeah. It's been Baba Dunn. Baba Dunn to Baba Death. Yeah. Uh but to the point where it's Baba Dull. <laughs> Got it. 
Um, but, uh, ultimately, like, the, the Babadook is not so much afflicting the child as it is afflicting... The mother. Amelia. Yeah, right, Which exactly. I because it's, it's just, I practically knew going in that they were, they were going to... I felt, I felt this deep, like, uh, realization that the, the child, that the child was gonna end up becoming spooky at some point. Like, it's... Very poorly phrased, but you, you get where I'm going with this. No, like, I totally like do. Spooky kids are are, are are trope number three in the in the book of of, of spooky tropes, and uh, the kids got kind of like kind of spooky buggy eyes. Like I was like, oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna spookify this kid, and they don't. And and I, I really love that, like how how wrong I, I was. Well, in in fact, they they do the opposite uh, towards the climax where. The mother becomes possessed by the Babadook, and and the mother becomes spooky. You know, the the child actually remains quite pure oh, through yeah. through really the, the the duration of the film. Uh, I mean, yes, he has his behavioral issues, and we see those wearing and tearing on on the mother, but the the change happens to her rather than to the child where in in another type of horror film like yeah exactly like you said the the kid would become spooky Mm -hmm. the kid becomes possessed or whatever and it's up to the mother to defeat to defeat the evil or whatever and yes it is still up to the mother to defeat the evil and the babadook but she is she is the the one who changes and what i love is the Throughout the duration of the film, there's ultimately very little that takes place outside of, like, the home and the stuff that's happening with the two of them, with the mother and the child. You know, we get some interactions with her friend or her sister, I'm not sure, they call her Auntie Claire, you know, with the with the kid interacting with the other kid and pushing her out of the treehouse. Yeah, I thought that scene was great, the way they I intercut... Agree. Her bit of argument with her uh, her cousin and uh, the kids having the argument in the treehouse well, and it... how it's intercut. So it feels kind of – you can see the juxtaposition between the two arguments and they feel very similar. Well, and you're, and you're also kept very sympathetic between Amelia and Samuel, the little boy, because – well, first of all, the little girl is, like, berating Samuel. You don't have a dad. You're not good enough to have a dad. All of my friends have a dad, but you don't have a dad. And and that's intercut with Amelia talking to her friend or her sister, whoever that character is. It's never explicitly stated. Oh, your friends pity me. That's the difference. There, I, I don't bring up my husband. You can't tell me that I should be getting over. I never talk about him. I never bring him up. So why are you getting on my ass about that? And I even love in the scene before where they're at the party and it's uh, it's the aunt and all of her friends and stuff. And Amelia is sitting on one side of the screen by herself. And every time they intercut, it's always a low shot looking up at all of these other women like they're looking down on her, you know, because she's a single mother and because she has this problematic child and it's like there's really so much more to it than that 
but they're all looking down at her in judgment. Mm. And, and, really, that's, yeah, and everything she says in that scene is pretty well justified. I know, absolutely. Too, like, and that's another that's thing. I loved about it. That's another thing this movie does really well is that it is uh it does a great job of visual symbolism. Like that scene mm-hmm. is just one example of yeah. these women looking down on her. And it's, it's too it also goes to show why I was so uh surprised by the direction it took with her like having to deal with those problems so directly with the Baba Duke because because you're you're so brought to sympathize with her early on like uh during during that sequence like all all those those small moments that she has with like those stress where she she all those early stressful breaks that she has are entirely sympathetic and absolutely and, 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 and i and well she, i would really do are you really do like break with her in those I, I would go so far as to say that she is never unsympathetic for a single point in the movie even when she is possessed by the babadook and becomes monstrous it's like it's a it's a it's an acting out of this inner turmoil that she's been dealing with this whole time and wanting so badly to be a good parent but just reaching her breaking point with this child who is giving her literally no rest we see that so many times in the movie with all she she constantly looks tired and you see her up late at night like dealing with the with the son who's scared of monsters in his closet and stuff like that and you'll notice that every single time she falls asleep it does an immediate time lapse to daybreak so that in 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 the context of the film her sleep is instantaneous it's like that she's a it's like she's asleep for no time yeah. every yeah. time she falls asleep it's always just in a couple of seconds it's daylight mm-hmm. yeah and it's and it really it really does that exhaustion bit so well like when you're so tired yeah. and you finally fall asleep and you wake up and it feels like you've been asleep for seconds yeah there's that's a, what oh there's a great like i think i think it's a, a tom segura said it one of his stand-up pieces where he said like as a as a parent i could be getting the, the wrong comic for this but he said uh as a before you're a parent, you have time, but then when you're a parent, you only get moments. Right. And it's, yeah, it's a good example. Oh, this water's nice. <laughs> you know, like you get a moment. Yeah. Well, that's why I think this film is excellently crafted in a lot of ways with the editing, especially because the editing puts us into her shoes in a lot of ways. Right. You entirely know? from her perspective. A hundred percent. And the fact that we have. Almost every scene in the movie with her in it plays a big factor in that. And, you know, the way the sun is portrayed plays into that in a lot of ways, I think, you know? Like, I think they almost exaggerate some of his behavioral problems to make it us view that from her point of view, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, to to some extent i think i think largely like the the majority of the things i saw the kid do uh were things that i saw other kids do as a child like i, I that that I, I i saw other you know other children partake in 
it, it seemed it seemed like fairly regular behavior. Well, for sure, it's movie. it's like, not it's not unrealistic, but the fact that she's dealing with it by herself, oh, and yeah. also and also like has to go to work and like make a living to be able to support herself and her child, and then she comes home. Oh, I, yeah, I'm in no way and, like well, underplaying the, that. I'm just no, saying, no, no, like, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I get exactly what you're saying, but also like we see early on that the the kid is kicked out of school because of his behavioral problems so then on top of having to go to work she has to find somebody every day to take care of him and she sends him over to the aunt's house and he starts talking about the babadook and it scares the the little girl and the aunt and so at a at a certain point she even has to call into work and fake that she's sick because she has nobody to take care of her kid and she just has to stay home and deal with this problematic child while all of this like pseudo supernatural stuff is happening that's just continually wearing on her psyche and just like driving her farther down into the dirt yeah 100% and i think Putting so much focus on a lot of the kids' misbehavior emphasizes that feeling in Absolutely. the movie really excellent. Absolutely. Well, because, like, yeah, it really does a great job of putting you in her shoes. Like, you know that the kid's not really at fault for the stuff that he's doing, but at the same time, he is so just, like, tempestuously obnoxious and problematic that, like, you absolutely feel sympathy towards her for having to deal with that. Like, he He's such a problem child, and it's really, really not his fault. You you get the impression that she is trying so hard to be a good parent. Yeah, but well, there's there's literally only so much she can do. He almost know? becomes a source of anxiety throughout the movie, absolutely you know? because absolutely. you don't know what he's gonna do next. Oh, he's definitely know? a source of anxiety. So, okay. well, like, that's that's what the Babadook is. You know, it's like the child is the source of anxiety, and her trying to deal with the grief of her husband's death while also raise her her little boy in a loving home and just that that constant push and pull between that that eventually breaks her which is literally what the babadook as a villain is you know it's that combination of of her grief and and her struggle to try to be a good parent but not being able to balance it with that uh, that sense of resentment that she can't help feeling towards her child. She can't help but look at him and think, you're the reason my husband is dead, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's, I, that's so well portrayed in the movie. Yeah, I think it's excellently done. It's also, in a way, some of that is one of the biggest problems I have with the movie. Um, just because that stuff is so excellent that when it gets blunt with, you know, what it's doing, when it, like, explains to the audience what it's doing directly... The metaphor's already clear. It, it's yeah, it, redundant. it takes some of that subtext away. I, I would you agree, know? I would agree, but I will say that, in my opinion, it doesn't really get blunt until no. until the end. Or, or redundant, and e- even then, like, it, it, it never, that the... The dialogue never overstays its welcome. Like, I, n- I was never 
bothered by it or perturbed to any degree, and it never felt out of place or problematic. It felt and like I, it needed to be there. It just it felt like something I'd heard, I'd seen before. I I agree with that. I think that it by the end of the film, it it's not really under any illusions as to what it's supposed to be about. Uh, I think the Babadook as as a metaphor is very complex and very open to interpretation based on what you personally want to project onto it. But, you know, you, you've got those scenes towards the end where it appears to her as her dead husband a couple of times, and it's basically like, okay, yeah, this monster is her dealing with her grief. Yeah, and that, so that was one anything. of my problems. You know, it's a little too blunt in showing that directly. You know, I think it's pretty clear that it is about that, so... Showing it directly kind of takes some of that subtext away. You know, I, I think the, the execution is still well done. I, I was just hoping for a little more subtext in that, a little more subtlety. I suppose so. I'd, I don't think that I would really consider it a problem for me just because they do hold off so much on, on that bluntness until the end of the film and that a lot of the stuff beforehand is very open to interpretation. I would consider it more that the, that the end of the film is ultimately uh, displaying its intent um, which does not necessarily mean that you have to take the metaphor as what they've intended because they do leave it ultimately uh, very open to interpretation. But I, I think the, the, last, the last act of the film, the last 20 or 30 minutes, uh, is very much so uh, the filmmaker, Jennifer Kent, and uh, and the other people who worked on the film being like, well, this is this is what the film is really about. Here's what we're trying what we're trying to say. and and yes, it is it is blunt, but it it is it's executed so well in in a way that I think is so seamless with the rest of the film that it doesn't necessarily hurt leaving certain things open to interpretation if you want them to be. Well, yeah, like I said, the execution is really strong yeah. throughout, you know? I My problem is uh, it lays its cards on the table. I think I think a lot of the film explains a lot of that anyways. I mean, yeah, it, it does lay its cards on the table, but for me, what it feels like is if we're using the metaphor of a poker game and laying your cards on the table, it's like the end of a hand when it's like, okay, here's what I got, best me, you know? So it is It is really trumping the ideas that you might have had up till this point, but it, but it waits to do that until the end of the film yeah. so that it's not, it doesn't feel like the entire movie is beating you over the head with uh, a specific message. It's like, by I mean, it, they do stick to the same idea throughout. Yes, they do. But uh, throughout, it's much more, it's much more subtle. Yeah. You don't, it does you don't realize leave, like the, 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 the Babadook is tied into that so directly. You, you, I, I felt like even by the moment, like the book is put down on the table, like that the scenario with her and her child was, was an event to to give me greater sympathy into these characters so that when they were afflicted by the haunting of this this monster 
that I would I would relate with them more. And I thought it was it was it was functioning almost in a in a in a B uh, system. Or if it if it did, it was it was just use utilize the the creature was going to utilize that as a mechanism. The creature wasn't going to be the mechanism. That's where I was sort of surprised by that, and where I I think that I didn't mind them playing their hand out at the end, especially since the monster whether the monster is quote real or not is still left ambiguous and i i did i did appreciate that see maybe it's just because i've seen this movie multiple times but i've i especially in this one i i always saw the babadook as a narrative device to further the ideas of losing well yeah after after watching the movie yeah like but during okay well well, uh, it's interesting hearing your opinion since uh this is the first time you've seen it so you're coming in and you know and you know what it's at the beginning of the film that that there is nothing to tie the babadook directly with with that event it is you know and and i and i can i think that i can sort of bridge the gap between both of you because like yes i have seen the film multiple times but my reaction to it the first time was very similar to what you got from at Cleveland. And yeah, like I'm, I'm on, I'm on the same page as you, Ben, in, in the, the ultimate, like further analysis of it because I have seen it so many times. And also because for a class I was literally asked to analyze it, which, you know, helped me come into a lot of the, the decisions that I've made about the film ultimately. But I think that, that that overall uh like further cements why i think this is such a good film is because it has a very specific interpretation that you get from the first time watching it mm-hmm. but at the same time it's such a, a well-developed metaphor that the more times you see it you can start to take a lot of different things and fit them into place yeah. it's 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 very much a film that that is uh, open to you as the viewer filling in the gaps and stuff as as you need. Um, I know we were talking about before this how you could also view the Babadook as as a metaphor for perhaps something like drug addiction uh, that we were talking about and the way that it affects. Amelia and sort of the the idiosyncrasies that it bestows upon her. Yeah, you get her. you get like the 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 bugs crawling all over her through the walls. You know her erratic mood swings, her jaw aches, even. Yeah, her um, jaw aches. Uh, which which I love. We see her constantly throughout the film, like her rubbing her jaw, like she's got a problem with it. And then later when she's fully possessed and she's going berserk, she reaches into her mouth and she rips out the bad tooth that's been giving her problems for the whole movie, you know? And that's sort of like, Oh, the kid is, is my problem. The kid is the bad tooth that's been bothering me. I'm going to rip it out. No, I'm going to go kill the kid. Yeah. Cause she only rubs her tooth when the kid's bothering her. yeah exactly exactly there's and there is so much of that that subtlety yeah Yeah. like and it's it's definitely like uh the the beauty of of its simplicity that you can sort of like put whatever metaphor you want over the babadook i i was actually i was very surprised that this film wasn't more mythos based also that that was another i I guess i was sort of another reason i might have missed anything early that that directly tied the babadook in with the her her ptsd uh because 
I, I was just sort of primed to think, oh, Babadook, Baba Yaga, and I was thinking it was going to have, like, some sort of, like, Slavic, like, folklore relevance, and I think it, in its symbolism it does, which is neat. He is sort of, like, a, 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 a Duke witch character. Like, a child snatcher. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, so, like, he's still just playing to that, but it, it is, it's sort of the, the film's own interpretation of I'm that mythos. Really, it's sort of been urbanized. I'm really glad that they don't go into that too Oh, much, yeah, me too. Me just too. because... It allows people to bring their own into well, right, it because, more, because it's been yeah. urbanized. Because, yeah. Well, and also because ultimately Baba Duke is a nonsense word that you uh, prescribe to a certain feeling or a certain thing. You know, the the Baba Duke as a as a concept is very nebulous, and the movie ensures that that stays consistent. It never tries to explain the Baba. Duke or give you that that uh, sinister esque info dump where they explain what the Baba Duke a Baba is dump, and if you would a Baba dump. God, <laughs> God damn it. Uh, but no, it is it is always this very this very nebulous concept that you can prescribe whatever you want to it and that's you know that's why like when she finds the book and she's first reading it to him and that first line in the book if it's in a word or it's in a look you can't get rid of the babadook like that is that's so perfectly encapsulating literally any kind of trauma or anything that you want to associate with the babadook it's it's so babadubious Dublius. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I definitely agree that it's very interpretive. But the thing I like about it is it's very clear. I don't think it's all that ambiguous. Oh no, like, this, I, this I movie think... has a very like uh, a very uh, accessible bar, like to to reach. Like I, I think that you you don't need like a a a deep like background and literature or understanding to to appreciate anything about this movie. I, I think that like from any you can approach it from just about any angle, I think, and, and, For sure. and enjoy and, this movie. It's and, been a very, it's very accessible. And even in the metaphor of the Babadook, you know, it, the Babadook can be different things, but in the end, it's always going to be an expression of trauma or grief. You know, like well, it's it's, you know, it's whatever whatever you choose to think that it is, it's something for you to cope with primarily yeah coping is a good word whether whether that's grief or depression or if you want to look at it as drug addiction or whatever regardless it's coping it's something dark and evil that's hanging over you that you have to figure out how to shake which is literally what the climax of the film is about like even in the in the storybook that she's looking for when the babadook sheds its disguise it's just this huge shadow with its arms outstretched it's something that's looming over you you know something that's presence that you can't ignore and and that's exactly what it is for amelia is in in the case of the the literal narrative of the film it's that looming grief of her husband's death and learning how to not see her child as an association with that grief and dealing with it you see all all throughout the movie 
uh, she's constantly watching stuff on TV. She sees romantic scenes of people kissing. There's the scene where she's in her car and she sees the couple in the parking garage, like making out. It's like, she's, she's so craving that human intimacy and that connection. Oh, right. Cause but there's it's, the, the part with the vibrator. I forgot about that. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, there's the well. part where she's masturbating with the vibrator. And before she can finish, her kid comes into the room. Yep. She can't even associate her own sexuality without the child. Well, and presence, the first thing he you mentions know? is the Babadook, too, you know? Right. It's as this soon as grief. He, right. As know? soon as he comes into the room, he's he's immediately talking about the Babadook. It's it's something you cannot get rid of, just like the book says. And even in in the climax, you know, when she finally uh decides to take a stand and she literally defeats the Babadook by screaming her defiance at it, you know, but it doesn't, it isn't destroyed. It doesn't go away. It retreats into her basement. Yep. You know, it's something that's locked away. And then we see in the final scene but still, with her, yeah. but still present with her going and feeding in a bowl of worms. Still needing to be tended to. Still because needing. Because that's how depression works. Exactly. She learns still, to manage it, you know. Exactly. She learns to manage it. She tucks it away. And after she feeds it, she comes back up and the kid says, how is it today? And she says, oh, you know, it's quiet today. So, which is just like with depression or trauma or something like that, you have some some days where it's very manageable and you can just kind of tuck it back where it goes. And then there's some days where it sort of takes over you and rears its ugly head. And that's, that's why I think that I, I love that the Babadook is never too heavily explained to the viewer because it is extremely symbolic. Well, yes, that's the thing. It's, it's definitely explained, but it always stays a metaphor. Right. You know, exactly. it's never a yeah. literal thing, which I really like. Yeah, they never cross That's that the line. biggest thing. They don't explain, like, oh, the Baba Duke was this. They don't go into the mythos, I guess you could say. It, well, yeah, exactly. You know? Like you mentioned, Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, they, they never go into mythos or, like, oh, the Baba Duke is a demon. Oh, yeah, which, which would have immediately when, taken any power or fear away from when it. You, when like, you read its book, it comes and it haunts you, and whoa. you can only do such and such. You have to sacrifice your only child to get rid of it. Uh, no, it's it's never that. You know, it's, it's even something that at the end that we see she has learned to cope, but it's not gone. It's always there, and it's always something that she's gonna have to deal with if this was a jason blum movie would we would have gotten an exorcism in the third act no ab you're absolutely right though like i know that's a joke but you're 100 percent correct when she gets tied up they would have just brought a priest in right sprinkle <laughs> like, some holy water on her or whatever which speaking of that 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 exorcism moment like in the third act was excellent like where like she she does sort of exercise the Baba Duke like with well, the black she, oil out yeah of her she yeah she vomits up yeah. the the black yeah. fluid Cause, oh because like her the, the the sequence where like the kid knocks like home alones her basically and knocks her out and she wakes up uh like tied down like I 
I was just cheering during that moment. Right. Like, I was, I was <laughs> well, just so like for the movie because like they just made so many of the right calls at that point where like the kid just kept doing the right thing. Well, right. And then the also movie, the kids doing the right. Also thing. in that moment, you know, she, she frees herself from the bonds and she starts strangling her kid. And all he does is like reach out and touch her face. And that's like the, the catalyzing moment where she rejects the influence of the Babadook and she rolls over and she vomits up the black fluid. You know, she's she's expunging this monster from herself because she's decided that her love for her child is stronger than the resentment that the Babadook has been making her feel. One very minor nitpick about that section was the the kid when she was possessed by the Babadook and freaking out and stuff the kid stabs the mom with a oh, knife. Oh, he stabs in, her in the leg. In yeah. the leg. Oh, I and, loved that. And it, then it's just never mentioned again, and she's totally fine. Well, I mean, it kind of is. When she, after the whole ordeal, when, when she comes to pick up the kid from the neighbors, you know, she's Yes, limping, but at, she in the moment, the... in the moment, she is yeah. just totally fine, and she's, like, running on it, like, soon after well, and stuff. She's still under the influence of the Yeah, she's possessed point, by a supernatural Which makes the monster scarier. No, my favorite part about that is is when the kid stabs her immediately says sorry mom and runs away yeah. <laughs> like like even then the kid is like really sympathetic and because he was doing it out of self-defense and even then he's like i'm sorry mom like, I'm be too. right like it, it's and it, it is almost comical like intentionally and i, I did love that about well it's that, part of that, that shit while it's like why it's hard to truly like deep down hate the kid because like he's Ever. still he's still a good I kid he's it. got yeah, he's got he, his problems but he know, definitely becomes more likable as things get more drastic mm-hmm. and you realize uh, the well, Babadook feels more real as it feels more real you start you know empathizing with the kid more oh yeah oh well, I mean like even even like uh you know about halfway into the film when you sort of realize that like he's been crafting all these weapons and stuff and he's been kind of getting up to all these hijinks so he can defend his mom from the Babadook even then like those those acts sort of become like internally justified well it's like yeah the the frustration that you feel with him is supposed to mirror the frustration that she feels and 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 but you do still have that sympathetic aspect because he is her kid and she loves him and she's Mm -hmm. trying to take care of him she's trying to be good but man it's fucking hard sometimes because he's really a little shit oh yeah and once the babadook (laughs) is made real like to the to the mom too i think i think at that point like any any concerns about like the the kid being a little rat bastard are mitigated right like at at that point it's like oh well no like the the babadook is real is a problem the kid's been trying to prepare for this fucker there's a true villain at that point yeah and and i did really like that like it's yeah all all of his little home alone preparations were just delightful fantastic just delightful well i think this is a a good segue to get into uh talking about the babadook itself a little bit because i think we'd be remiss to not at least devote a little bit of time to the the creature if we missed that we'd be a bunch of baba dorks yep you thought i was finished (laughs) You thought I, never, I was out. I never think you're I'm finished. Ne- <laughs> Ever. Um, but I, I, I really like how 
Well, it's, it's established through the storybook that that what you see of the Babadook is disguise, that it's hiding something beneath, something much more horrifying. And I love that every time in the movie that you see the Babadook, it feels very fake and artificial because of that. It doesn't move naturally, you know? It's, it's always very stiff. It it looks it looks like something that's completely not real, but it gives you that impression that there's something beneath that, you know. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I think I think we'd be remiss without uh, mentioning the brothers Quay uh, as as a source of influence for this, film. especially with the book for the storybook. Yeah, very right. much the, well, also the, in, the in pop the, the, the pop creature book. design yeah. as well. Like a lot no, of the, the creatures and monsters that the uh, the brothers Quay like have have put on in their exhibits and such. Uh, and the set design as well, like it, it felt like that's that's one thing I, I definitely wanted to bring up. If this is a good moment for sure. it, uh, one of my personal favorite things about this movie was was the set direction and uh, uh, the style, the, the color design was was yeah. unbelievable. Like the set design, um, I mean, pun intended, mad props. Uh, like they, <laughs> they, did, <laughs> they did an exquisite job. Uh, the well, it was very subtle, but. To a degree of control, I would I would compare it to to Wes Anderson almost. Like it is the the that house is so like just down down to the the tiniest details uh, in intentionally picked on uh, by choice of color. Like all of, it's blues and grays exclusively, and it's gorgeous. And uh, there's a scene too where she um, well Amelia's always wearing pink as well. Yes, yeah. And there's a lot of like shocks of red like the babadook book is red yeah. and the couch cushions are red and sometimes the kid is wearing and, like a red even sweater, then like you know all of all of the key points of color are are very are very like washed out and desaturated like the the blues and the reds are like deeper like maroons and crimsons and the blues are all like you know much well, more like that's a big thing about it because it has a very strict color palette but because it's not vibrant, it never feels quirky. No, you right. know, it never feels it, overplayed or it, done. It's, yeah. it's just masterful. Well, and, it does. Uh, there's a sequence too where she goes to the police office, and I love that shot because, like, uh, the the shot of the the police officer behind the desk because his 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 entire suit and his glasses, his haircut, the the file cabinets behind him, the ceiling, everything is either black, gray, or beige. And, like, even his skin, I feel, was, like, color-corrected a little bit to just make him feel a little bit more beige. Right. Like, it's, oh, it's so good. Well, oh, everything man. everything has a, a very has a very storybook quality to it, mm. which I think is appropriate considering that like the 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 pop up book is sort of like the harbinger of the Babadook, you know, uh, and even to the extent that she throws it out and then it comes back and then she tears it up mm -hmm. and then it comes back and she burns it and it comes back, you know, it's the whole thing has kind of a, a fable vibe to it and the and the the set design and the cinematography all very much plays into that uh that storybook-esque aesthetic yes and i would like to to continue that point by saying that uh one of the one of the beautiful things about the the subtlety of of the color choices and the set design 
uh, was it allowed them to to ease you into that dollhouse dream sequence at the very end, right? Like where and you they it it allowed them because they had such such a total and perfect control over that the environment of that set. They they were able to to slip you into the dream so easily, right? And, and so like conveniently because like by seamlessly, by that, yeah. Like that that sequence at the end with the the where you have the long hallway into dark and the bed behind her, it feels like a little doll house. It feel even right. even the house has become artificialized by the Babadook. And and again, like those those moments reminded me so so strongly of when I was visiting the. Um, I think it was the MoMA in New York, and I, I, I got the opportunity to see the Brothers Quay um, exhibit, like uh, Brothers Quay exhibit live, and uh, to walk around and to see all of their little perfect doll houses they've made uh, was uh, fucking horrifying, like like really exquisite. But I, I felt like I'd been placed into one of those those little like um, shoebox like pieces of, of horror art that they've created. It's like, funny I, you say dollhouse too because. In some ways, I see this movie as influencing Hereditary. In some ways, you know, I see it in there are a I lot could of see that you know, as well. Yeah, expressions of grief, you know, representational, compartmentalizing, compartmentalizing. Yeah. and from a movie maker um, perspective, I mean, like the these films both put a great deal of focus into character development and personalization. Absolutely. Yeah, like, but I think you make a really great point about how the restraint of the color palette and the design really helps pull you into the third act. And I think that works equally as well with the restraint in showing the Babadook. Yes, absolutely. We don't really see the Babadook itself until it really escalates. Well, and also even then, you still never really see it. It's always this very dark nebulous concept of evil because i think uh the baba duke as as an entity is so specific to whoever it is haunting that it doesn't really have a true form you know there's there's a lot of implications of its true form obviously like what we see of it is a disguise but when it uh quote unquote reveals itself at the end we don't see that it's always just dark well because it's revealed itself as her her, right her and the, and then a that couple is of, what is underneath all and a, of those and things. a couple of times at the end in the last couple of scenes we see from its perspective from its pov you know yeah. which are well done like those sorts of pov shots are pretty outdone in in, in cinema but they they evoked like something for me like I was, right I was but quite, i think uh, it's uh, i think it's so them. i think it's so good that we never get a, a good idea of what the Duke is because I think it is so metaphoric and sim and symbolic that to give it a, a real form is doing it ultimately a disservice. A hundred percent. I think it needs to stay ambiguous. Oh yes. Yeah. No. I think the restraint is an excellent device because it pulls away, you know, the literal 
from it. You know, it exactly. leaves it more representational. Like you, you see, you see something of it in that in in that last confrontation, but you can't tell if that's if it's like wings or arms or oh. horns. There's something protruding from the darkness, but it's it's not something that's recognizable. And and I think that that is so perfect. And even at the very end, when she goes back to feed it, you know, we see its POV of it lunging at her and she almost falls over backwards and she's like flailing her arms, but she regains her balance. And then we see that the bowl of worms is just sucked into the darkness and that's her you know, putting it away. It almost overwhelms her, but no, you know, she's, she's not letting that trauma get at her today. And, and even it, then, like the fact that she, she makes the conscious choice to go and deal with it herself. Right. And to not let it affect the world around her. She even has her kid wait outside. Well, yeah. The kid asks, uh, will I ever be able to see it? And she says, someday when you're older. You know, exactly. Like, he's he's six, you know? He's about to turn seven years old. That's not something for him as a child to deal with, her trauma and her grief. You know, that's something that he'll come to understand later when he when he gets older and becomes an adult. But for now, that's, that's her burden to bear, and she deals with it as such. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, the, like, the just further further goes to how well written this film is and and how uh just like masterfully executed the whole thing is because there's there's so many points when they could have fallen into generic tropey pitfalls and they didn't yep uh, which is one of the things that i respect a lot about the Babadook. Oh yeah, and and even even times where they they do execute like something that could be considered a trope, it's done it's done so well that I, I never have any qualms with it. Well, sure. and you also see a lot of her, you see a lot of her watching TV, and there's a lot of these like really old like 30s and 40s era like horror movies on TV. These very tropey things. Oh yeah, they, I mean they they just... pick from pretty much every era of cinema. Yeah, to, to display. I mean, you have like a, a Lumiere Brothers like sort of style. Exactly. Like yeah, exactly. Uh, there's there's a number of sequences, all of which they kind of hide the Babadook in, but it, it never it never overstays its welcome. Like during those sequences, like it's really well done. Speaking of TV, I thought one of the most excellent sequences of the movie was when she turns the channel to like a news report. Oh yeah, talking absolutely. about yeah, glad you brought uh, yeah a mother stabbing her now seven-year-old son and then killing herself and then in a single shot you see from a distance someone smiling at her through the window and then we get a close-up and see it's actually her her. yeah no i thought that was really good uh the the way that they have like the babadook get into her head is is so excellent and i think it works so well for it as a monster and as a villain because it is very much about being in your own head Mm -hmm. the fact that it's not acting externally upon her but is like 
twisting her perception and stuff is is so so well done which they then escalate with having her dead husband appear to her and you know in that one scene he keeps saying bring me the boy bring me the boy and his voice is distorted and it's a call back to when she's in the principal's office at the beginning of the movie and she says to the the teacher and the principal like stop calling him the boy his name is samuel and then she says the same thing to this evil incarnation of her husband like his name is samuel stop calling him the boy he's not a thing he's a person which i i i think is so excellent with her struggle between seeing him the the kid as like a frustration and also being like no this is my child this is my son this is uh you know something that i have someone that i have made um i i think all of that is it does such a, a an excellent job of making all of the characters sympathetic and believable and not making anybody like a true villain uh you know like the the grief the the trauma is the villain and it never gives you any reason to think otherwise it's one of the things i like so much about this movie oh yeah most definitely before we rate this let's talk for just a minute about the short film oh yeah that yeah, yeah, uh yeah. the no, Duke was based on so uh, Baba Duke came out in 2014. It is based on a, a short film that Jennifer Kent put out in 2005 called Monster, mm-hmm. um, which I had never seen before. I honestly didn't even realize that this film was a, an expansion of a of a short film that she did about a decade prior. Uh, I was also surprised to learn that it was not a student film because it gave me very student film oh, yeah. vibes. It's very low budget. Extremely. <laughs> uh, looked like it was Black shot. Looked like it was shot on sixteen millimeter. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it gave me flashbacks to being a film student and doing student film projects. But it's a uh, it's a very simplified idea of what she expanded on in this film, and I would say that the the growth between Monster and the Babadook is profound. Yeah, I, I like, she had she had about a decade. I think it it's really interesting watching Monster because the Babadook takes a lot of the ideas she was going at. Right. With that, you can and see expands the influence, on yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, almost I shot think, for shot in time. Yeah, and I think, uh, yes, yeah, especially like with the scene where she's confronting, you know, the monster and yelling at it is almost shot for shot the exact same as yeah, the Babadook. The yeah, yeah, she she screams it into subservience and then puts it in a closet. But you even see some of the some of the same stylistic things too. Like after that, when you know she goes to bed and it does the time lapse of you know from sleeping until dawn when the light comes in through the window. That's stuff that you see expanded on in 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 the the feature length film. And uh, you know, I I think it's I think it's pretty fucking cool that she was able to take something that she did almost ten years before and be like. Like, I'm going to do this concept justice because I think she really does because I think there's there's interesting ideas in Monster, but overall it's very, very underdeveloped and, yeah. and 
kind of weak. Yeah, I'm um, I'm very glad because before we watched, I we we were a little unsure which one that I should be subjected to first. Is, right. Ben and Tease had not seen Monster yet, and so we we decided us oh, let's watch Babadook first, and then we'll come back for Monster, and I'll watch it, you know, fresh. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I didn't I think see that was Monster the right thing first. To do. Because yeah. first off, because it like it it, it kind of gives away a, a, a large portion of of moments and sequences, and would have told me all of the the core th- themes of of the film uh, beforehand instead of going into it fresh. But but also, uh, I think it would have it, it would have taken a little bit away from the the horror and fear of the Baba Duke because you you clearly see it in in the. In monster, you, and it you looks kind of goofy. It, it does look goofy, oh, and yeah. I, that you know, I think a lot of that is like, the low budget. Under, yeah. you know, I, I was saying during it, like uh, under all of the face paint for the the guy that they they cast for the the the, the monster, um, uh, you can tell he's still a fairly like attractive, handsome dude, and yeah, like, it's he's like got like sexy, a well cut jawline, sexy was, Baba dude, yeah, and he's wearing yeah. like a black wig and stuff. And I was saying like, oh god, I'm just I'm half expecting him to pull out like a glass orb and start singing about the babe with the power, <laughs> you know? Like, right? Yeah, it's like, it's labyrinth esque. Yeah, it's, it's the real yeah. gay icon Baba dude. That's right. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, yeah, right. the true the true sexy Baba dude. Um, yeah. No, well, and I think the Baba Daddy. I think. Yeah. <laughs> The tough part about, you know, looking at Monster, especially right after Babadook, is I think Monster would stand on its own pretty well, but given the context of what it's become, you know, as the Babadook, it does not stand up, you know? Yeah, but at at the same time, I think that watching it after Babadook is the right move because I think it, even though, yeah, it doesn't quite stand up to the the feature-length adaptation, it shows a lot of where the ideas for the Babadook came from. And and it's a a cool comparison, It's it's the sketch before the painting. Like, there's a lot wrong with the sketch, like, that the artist hasn't fixed yet sure like the, the nose is a little too big you know like the 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 proportions are a little off here and there but once they they take it and they transfer it to paint and they they finalize the piece and they have the time to work out those kinks and oil like it's an entirely different piece but it's really still really cool to see the sketch yeah like, absolutely and, and, yeah I, and I, I appreciated it in both and I think y'all made the right call to to say let's watch Monster afterwards because <laughs> having having seen the Babadook before, I was in favor of watching Monster beforehand yeah, so we could see where it came from. I was almost in that camp too because like, but no, I think for me to have a, like a different experience because y'all saw Babadook first right. and then saw Monster after, and then if I did the opposite, it could be cool. Like I was, I was sort of in that same camp with you in that respect. Yeah, well, that's the thing since like, this was your first time, Cleve, like. I think watching the short film would have spoiled a bunch. If it was just Tease and I, where we've seen it multiple times, I would have been open to watching Monster first. No, I think you're Um, right. But it's it's it was a good call. Um, So should we jump into ratings? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'll start this time. Yeah, the the Baba Duke is uh, I, I think a really excellently constructed and executed film. Uh, I think it's very significant in uh, in sort of kickstarting the the horror renaissance of the of the mid twenty teens. 
Um, I, I think there's uh, a lot of horror films that came after owe a lot to the Babadook, just in uh, maybe not necessarily story-wise, but just from its construction and its execution. Uh, it, it's a film that I have a, a massive appreciation for, uh, having been able to analyze it in depth uh, several times. Um, I'm I'm a big big fan. I'm I think uh, honestly, the Babadook is a is a five five out of five pod film for me. Pretty pretty damn perfect. Yeah, let me let me think about my. Oh jeez. You want me to come yeah. back to you? Uh, hold on one second. You know, guys, I'm getting kind of lightheaded. I'm getting pretty hungry. I think. Uh, do you think it'd be all right if we we got a snack? Maybe some seafood. Like I could go for some shrimp. Yo, you guys want to go to Baba Gump? Get some shrimp. And now a word from our sponsor, <laughs> Baba Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates. It's got some chocolates in it and some Baba Dukes. I thought life was like a box of scrimps. Yep. It's also that. Buy our shrimp. Baba Gump shrimp. <laughs> And now back to our regular scheduled programming. Right. So, so my actual rating. Um. Uh. Yeah. Okay. That's that's. I think that's all. I'm uh. Yeah. I. Oh. I'm. I'm really torn between four point five and just five out of five. The more we discussed it, the 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 heavy handedness. The the more the more I really felt that it was it was necessary and that it worked well in favor of the film. And that was really potentially the only critique i was going to have going into this movie i i have very few critiques it, the, all the all the spooks and scares land of uh, the again the color palette is exquisite uh the set design is spectacular the acting uh the lead she gives a two to tour de force uh performance the cinematography is on point uh i loved everything about this movie i think uh it it might have been the movie that i i i wanted to see it might have been the film that like played to my personal interests but uh as as a film goes and excluding that i i think it's 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 pretty pretty damn spectacular i'd need to see it probably uh, another time or two and i plan to as well before i say it's it's you know like a a perfect film or anything like that but i'm do we do point eights uh i'm uh... <laughs> now we only do how holes and point fives all right uh we'll do i'll do 4.5 all right i'll do 4.5 but i i felt i felt very good about it it's it's a it's 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 a strong 4.5 all right ben yeah well i think the babadook as we've been saying throughout this whole episode is excellently crafted um whether it's the sense of style with the strict color palette um and it's restraint in both the color and the way the story is told, the limited per, uh, perspective to get most of the story from Amelia's point of view, or even the restraint in showing the Babadook. It all is excellently crafted. The one minor grip I have is it's a little blunt with the hitting us with the, the loss of the husband. Um, we get that a lot. And it robs it of a little bit of its subtext, but I think throughout it's excellently shown, uh, especially with, you know, the kid, um, how they portray that as almost a reflection of how Amelia sees her son 
and I thought that relationship between the two was really good. Um, this movie is really interpretive, but it's clear in what it's about at its core. You know, the, the idea of trauma and grief and coping. Um, yeah, this is a really excellent movie. I, I'm leaning between a four and four and a half, but I think I'm going to say a four and a half. All right. Well, that gives the Duke a strong average rating of 4.7 out of five pods. Go see it if you haven't. Check that shit out. Uh, it, I think it's important to, uh, to horror culture these days and obviously a gay icon. So I, what are you doing if you haven't seen it? Um, yeah, fantastic movie. Most definitely. And now I'm going to take us into that Metacritic corner. What time is it? Metacritic time. What time is it? Metacritic time. And this week, our Metacritic Corner is brought to us by Metacritic user Rage in Black. Rage in Black. Here we go. I'm not exaggerating one bit when I say this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And I watched horror movies for 30 years. But this one is so bad that I seriously felt the urge to gouge my eyes out. I mean, really? How on earth did anyone think that two such atrociously unlikable and annoying characters with a laughably ridiculous looking monster and a mediocre story would ever make a good movie? The whole movie is a pain to watch from start to finish. Every minute is atrocious. There's absolutely nothing good about it except the nicely crafted book (laughs) and the overall visual atmosphere of the house and its surroundings and that couple of seconds of CGI monster at the end. Wait. Was there any CGI monster? No. Yeah, it was all, it was all live effects. I honestly can't remember where was the last time I watched a movie to end so bad. I was seriously tempted to turn it off many, many times. But due to all the hype surrounding it, I was determined to keep going till the end. To keep torturing myself. I wish I hadn't. I'm just imagining this 40-year-old dude sitting alone in his in his I'm, room. I'm also just wondering, like, fuming, oh, I know. fuming while watching this. I think, I think that the funniest thing Ooh, we can I do also is, is also stick it out and torture ourselves through this guy's review and finish it. Oh, we're going to do it. I'm not even halfway through yet. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Bring it on. I'll, I'll, I'll stick through. I will. A waste of time and nerves and with such a mediocre story and no redeeming factor whatsoever. (laughs) Also, I didn't find the kid to be a good actor at the least. Besides being so unbearably annoying, his scenes look forced and pushed. Like in my mind, I could almost see the crew telling him what to do in the background and him listening to them and suddenly executing the orders on the spot. It was really that bad. I mean, in fairness, he is one of the most annoying kids 
I've ever seen. I mean, in a movie. purposely though. But yeah. yes, it's absolutely purposely. The kid's a phenomenal actor. Yeah, the mother was a better actress, but not very likable and also quite annoying. The scene where the Babadook was shown flying off the ceiling with the stop motion effect was simply awful. That's but like what, my favorite part of the movie. But what hurts me even more about the whole thing is that I'm watching the whole world gone insane before my very eyes, praising this movie like possessed. <laughs> like, I keep seeing this boring, annoying little movie on top of the best horror movie charts of the year, and even of all time. <laughs> And here on Metacritic, it has a highly it has a higher rating than Alien. Can you even imagine? This little mess of a movie has a higher rating than The Host, Carrie, Get Out, The Witch, Drag Me to Hell, Alien, Sweeney Todd, A Quiet Place, just to name a few One movies. One of these is not like the others. Like, One <laughs> of these is not like the others. It's Sweeney I'll, Todd. I'll yeah. say, like, like, <laughs> I'll say like, like, no, I would, I would rate Alien like higher than this movie. But I mean, yeah, Alien probably me too. But like, largely rated like, and, again, that's one of the things this film did so well. Is and also, possible. like, Alien is like an impossibly high bar of horror film. Yeah. Like, come on, bud. Yeah, like it's it's. Just to name a few movies that are on the top, but unfathomably still under the Babadook. Take a minute and let that sink into your head now. What are you guys even doing with your life here at Metacritic? (laughs) But it's not only Metacritic, it's everywhere. This kind of thing makes me lose hope in the future of horror movies, and this is sad. In conclusion, <laughs> this movie is overrated like hell, and it blows my mind to not be able to even nearly comprehend why it got so much praise, besides the gay community. <laughs> As you may know, oh, in 2017, the, yeah. the Duke became the official gay icon for the Pride Month, but still, this was in 2017. This movie got praise since it came out, but why? <laughs> but why? <laughs> I would not recommend it to my worst enemy. I hated it. It's pure torture of the body, mind, and soul. Zero out of ten. Unlike the masterpiece Sweeney Todd, this movie does not hold up. <laughs> The tour de force, Johnny Depp in a wig, (laughs) killing people, Helena Bonham Carter, making them into pies. Why would anybody think that the Babadook is better than the masterpiece Sweeney Todd? This person obviously, this person obviously has those brain worms, though, like... Something's been eaten out the inside of his skull for a long time. I'm sorry, Ragin' Black. Like, if you really give the Babadook a zero out of ten, if you hate it that much, like, honestly, you're just depriving yourself. Can I say as a sidebar, I'm very glad we didn't cover Sweeney Todd on our horror musical episode. Oh my god, fuck no. Who do I don't you think, think I could are? sit through that whole movie. No, I would have, I would have difficulty with that for sure. Uh, But that'll take us to the end of this week's Metacritic Corner. 
What time was it? Metacritic Corner. What time was it? Metacritic Corner. That'll bring us to the end of this week's episode of The Pod People. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you like this dank show, leave us a dank rating and review a on Baba Apple Podcasts. Baba Dank. Give us those Baba Doodads. Yeah. Baba Do It. Right in our sweet ear holes. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can. We're on Twitter at Pod People Pod. You can follow us on Letterboxd as well, letterboxd.com slash podpeoplepod. That's where all of the films that we've talked about on the show are, along with our ratings and links to those episodes. So get on that shit if you're a new listener. Um, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Mr. Van Awesome. There's been some drunk tweets lately, lots of pictures of my cat. You know, get in on that shit. My cat's cute. You know, you think that you've seen cute animals, but um, not until you follow me on Twitter. Uh, as a professional uh, aesthetician, as someone who, who designs beautiful imagery for a living, I can vouch. That's a cute cat. It's a cute cat. <laughs> it's a damn cute cat. Yep. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. Uh, go by the handle Goku's Basilisk. Though it might change by the time this episode comes out. I'm That's thinking a deep fucking cut. I'm thinking for <laughs> for Thanksgiving, I might change it to uh, Drunk Orson Welles. You can look up at Mr. Sheets. Oh, or shit. Just... By the way, it's Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Turkey Day. <laughs> gobble, gobble. Motherfucker. Yeah, uh, in case you're wondering why we didn't do a Thanksgiving episode, it's because last year we talked about literally all of the Thanksgiving horror movies in existence. Every single one of them. So, uh, you know, hope you ate some good shit today. Hope you're listening to us uh, while you're sleeping off that itis. Hopefully you're feeling tripto-fantastic. Nice. I know I am. Good. That was good. Cleveland, where can they find you? Uh, uh, when I want to be found, you can find me uh, uh, on my art station. That's my uh, my portfolio website where, where my artwork is featured. Uh, primarily just uh, Cleveland Mosier or Iron Prism. Uh, you can also uh, uh, occasionally hear uh, I'll Whisper Sweet Nothings into your ear via the Light Arc Studios uh, Twitter feed. Uh, but pretty rarely for the most part. Hopefully we'll be picking that up again pretty soon with uh, the demo and st- release for It Stares Back, which is, uh, I guess, the, the biggest thing I can really do a shout-out for is um, the project we're all working on, uh, the the video game soon-to-be masterpiece uh, horror uh, uh, strategy game, uh, It Stares Back. So Hell yeah, your... check that out. We're also on YouTube. You can see some videos of Cleveland's artwork. Cleveland, if they're looking for you on ArtStation, how do you spell your last name? Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cleveland, like the city. Mosier, uh, M-O-S-H-E-R. Uh, I guess, f- not actually phonetically, but for, for the sake of convenience, I'll say phonetically Mosher uh, is how you'd think of it. But uh, yeah, I got to be all pretentious and shit and go with Mosier. Uh, gotta go with the name you were given with that's right. That's Look that right. shit up to see some good artwork. Yeah. Lots of stuff from our game. Yeah, it's some really great stuff. Um, I also want to mention a quick shout-out to SoundCloud. Uh, They (laughs) were the real MVPs over the last couple weeks. Uh, 
They auto-renewed our pro subscription uh, without any sort of notice. Um, so I woke up one day to a surprise 60-some dollar uh, transaction in my account. Um, so I wasn't really happy about that, but I got in touch with their support team on Twitter and After screaming at them on social media for a while, finally <laughs> got their attention. And they got me a refund, which they say on their website they don't do. Um, so I'm glad they made an exception. Thank you, SoundCloud, for doing the right thing. Yeah, I'm not going to call you ShitCloud on the, <laughs> the podcast. I'll call you by your proper name, yeah. I promise. You've still got a lot of SoundCloud with us. Well, kind of. We're not using your service anymore because you make it hard for podcasts to be on SoundCloud, but whatever. Oh, sorry. I wasn't SoundCloud into that. Whatever. Now uh, you just look like a SoundCloud. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> well, thank you, as always, for listening. Check back with us next week for another review of something spooky, probably. Uh, we'll we'll be back with you, and we can't wait to see you and, and kiss those sweet ears of yours with our delectable, honey-sweet voices. Let me just get a little nibble. Let me just, let me just nibble a little bit. And uh, until next time, if you got problems, shove them in the basement and feed them worms. Okay? Bye. Bye. Bye.